Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. And an interception, and you're not down by 10 anymore. Andre Howe, his second interception. To get you the information that you need is when you start your own business and do your own thing. And I felt like it gave me a good perspective. I was not the first person to go through what I went through. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. I'm your co-host, Andre Howe. Man, we're excited. We got another opportunity to speak with another guy, uh, someone that we're very fond of, to talk about his experience and his journey uh, all the way to the mountaintop. So uh, with no further ado, we would like to welcome to the podcast, Jeff Allen. Welcome to the podcast. Man, thanks for having me, guys. Good to see you all. Good to have you, man. Jeff, man, I appreciate you jumping on. The, the, the podcast, man, is just really, we like to speak to individuals about their journey, their stories. Yeah. Nobody's story is the same, right? And a lot of times people think, uh, go after all the hype and just like, man, this man's life must have been so easy or so glamorous yeah. because he was able to make it, you know, to the NFL. But again, they don't understand. Even once you make it to the NFL, all the dynamics. So um, what we like to just start with is just from the beginning, man. Just tell us a little bit about where you're from. Uh, what it was like growing up there, and just kind of give us a little bit of your background. And I'm from the I'm from the east side of Chicago. That's what we call it. Um, a lot of people would say it's the south side, um, inner city, rough area. But it, it molded me. It made me who I was, who I am, um, and it shaped me into the man that I am today. I grew up with a single parent household. My father um, left us at an early age. I passed away when I was ten, but it was just. Pretty much just me and my mom. Um, I had two older sisters that were a lot older than me. One is 14 years older than me, and then one is seven years older than me. So by the time I was, you know, 13, I was the only kid in the house. Um, so it was just me and my mom, and she, you know, she taught me a lot of my life lessons. I learned a lot from, you know, the people around me. I'm my uncle in my life. But to be honest with you, man, football is, is what really, you know, kept me off the streets. Um, that's what kept me on the right path. That's what. That's what made me take education serious. That's what made me realize that, you know, college was an opportunity for me. And, and I, I made it happen. Good deal. Cool. When did you first start playing sports? What sport was it and uh, who inspired you to play? Well, my first sport was actually was baseball, man. I thought I was like Bo Jackson. <laughs> Honestly, for real. And what inspired me to do it was just hearing all the stories about my father playing baseball. So we had a little league at the, the park district near my home it was called the negro league and i played for the kansas city monarchs and i you know i was a center fielder a little chubby fat kid <laughs> out there fielding balls um, i could hit but you know once i started fo playing football i realized that was my true passion my true love i mean uh it's interesting because anytime i talk to guys from chicago especially any guys that were around the jordan era right that yeah. you know when they've kind of you know, whether playing basketball at some point, but uh, kind of uh, eventually getting into football. So it always kind of surprised me a little bit about guys that's from Chicago that ends up in a path of football. Now, you got some good football there, but it's just always surprising because you had definitely. the biggest star in the world playing basketball in your city. Definitely. I'm definitely – I definitely thought I was a hooper for a little bit as well. <laughs> <laughs> Those things changed when I wasn't making the team. <laughs> the coach would tell me, that son, you're a different center. <laughs> Everybody was pointing me to the direction of football. And, um, you know, I kind of leaned toward that direction. My uncle actually was one of my biggest mentors. Um, who was my father figure for the majority of my life. He played Division One football at the University of Miami. 
back in the days with Michael Irvin. Um, he was roommates for Russell Maryland. So he would always try to give me a football. He's like, listen, man, like, you got to start playing football. But at the time, I don't think I was tough enough. Yeah. You know, I was a mama's boy. I was raised by, raised by my mom. So I just, you know, she was telling me, you don't want to do that. That's not what you need to be doing. You're not going to hurt your body and all that type of stuff. You know, but when I first started playing, I fell in love. Yeah. You're talking about those University of Miami days, man. Don't start me down that path, man. I know all the legends, man. All the guys yeah. from those 80s, those championship runs. So um, definitely. So just tell us a little bit about where you uh, went to high school and maybe a little bit about your high school and then a little bit about your, your, your experience in high school playing football. Yeah, man, I went to uh, Martin Luther King um, um, High School. Um, pretty great high school. It actually got transformed to a college prep school in the city of Chicago. It started to change some of the, the curriculum for schools. So we have vocational schools, which you learn to trade and everything, get you prepared for life after high school. Then they had college prep schools, which prepared you for college. So I got a really good education there. Football-wise, you know, we, we weren't very good my first year. We were actually eight-man football. <laughs> yeah, we weren't very good. Um, I wouldn't call us a powerhouse in football or anything like that, but we had a – my head coach was a great leader. He was a great man. You know, he had been there at the school since probably like the early 70s. Jeez. Um, he just recently retired a couple of years ago. But they call him the man maker. His name's Lonnie Williams. And, you know, he wasn't just a football coach. He was a mentor. He taught us a lot about life. And um, he kept us out of those situations that we didn't need to be in, mm-hmm. especially in the environment we were in. Um, but football, football literally was was our was our life. It was our job in some sorts. It was what kept us out of trouble. Um, you know, I played there for four years. I was on varsity all four years. Um, recruiting wise, I wasn't like a highly talented recruit. I didn't get my first offer until my senior year in high school. Um, I don't even think I was ranked until they realized that I was going into Division One school. So that, that's a story about me. I was always an underdog. I always have been my entire life. Well, talk a little, about, a little bit about your recruiting process. Yeah, so I actually went to a um, – I hadn't had any offers, man. I had a guy on my team who was ranked top 25 in the country. Um, we're all wondering, like, how are you getting all these looks, all these opportunities? We go to the same school, and I know I'm just as good as you. No disrespect to you or anything. And he just put us – he put everyone on game. Like, listen, I'm going to these camps. I'm touring. My dad's driving me around the country to showcase my ability. And for us – all of us, we didn't have those resources um, to be able to drive around and stay in hotels and go to different camps and be around these coaches. But thankfully, his father was one of those selfless dudes that you know, would reach back and help some of us. So he took us around with him. So I was able to go to a few camps. I um, went to University of Illinois camp, and they offered me on the spot. And that was my first big-time Division One offer, and I committed right on the spot. So you didn't pretty much entertain any other opportunities? You didn't take any other visits anywhere else? No, I didn't, man. I just, I mean, for me, I was like, man, it's free school. Yeah. <laughs> I was just so grateful for the opportunity. I took the first thing that I got. So there was no sitting back and waiting for me. And I knew, I knew a lot of guys at the University of Illinois since it was so close to home. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to go too far. You know, I didn't want to be that far away from my mother and you know, my other family members. So it was just a perfect place. It was, it was far enough away for me to get away, but it was close enough. But if I needed to get back, I could Absolutely. So, again, so as we know, you decided on the University of Illinois. What was the biggest adjustment for you going from high school in Chicago to now walking on campus in uh, Illinois at the University? Man, for me, it was conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I was a mid-year guy, so I ended up graduating high school early. So I came right in the spring semester, right into winter conditioning. That's when you're really working. Like summer stuff, 
for winter conditioning is just a different beast. So coming straight from high school into that, not just the, the workload school-wise, but the workload with 6 a.m.s, you know, the weight room, not really lifting before, not really having a, you know, a schedule as far as, you know, getting better in the weight room. And, man, that got me. I was playing catch-up for, like, the first six months. Talk, talk about the team success at Illinois and talk about your individual success. And uh, um, we know we know we know Willie Mercer went, went to school with you, but uh, yeah. who else big big time guy went to school with you, Illinois? Man, we had some ballers, man. I had um, when I first got there, my freshman year, we had um, Aurelius Ben, Lante Davis, Juice Williams, um, Jeff Crumberland, Michael Hamanui. We call him O.O. He's tight end for the Saints for a while in the Patriots. Um, on the D line, we had Corey Legit, Akeem Spence, Whitney Merciless. Um, man, O line, we had myself, Hugh Thornton, um, a guy named Xavier Fulton, who played for the Bucks for a little bit. We had John Osamo, who played with Kansas City with me. We just had a host of guys. I know I'm forgetting a lot of guys. AJ Jenkins, mm-hmm. receiver, Michael LeSure, running back, just from my class. Like we had. Six or seven guys get drafted. Tavon Wilson, safety for the Lions. Man, there's a lot of us. We actually should have been a lot better than what we were. <laughs> we became success with all the talent that we had. But we, I think we kind of changed the culture for that moment in Illinois because for a while, you know, we weren't. We were in this place where we we're stagnant. We weren't doing very much. We went to the Rose Bowl. In the following year, we weren't that. Very, we weren't that good. Then, in my last two years, we went to back-to-back bowl games for the first time in school history. Good deal. I mean, again, all those names. I mean, I, I look at certain um, universities and certain periods, like they have real runs, like, you know, whether it be like the NC State when they had the Mario Williams and all those guys, like they have real runs. And Illinois kind of fall in that ballpark too. Uh, it's, it's hard to be as consistent as some of these guys like the Ohio States and things like that. But a lot of times you will have a run for a university. And that definitely was a period, time period where you guys had a run. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, when did you realize you probably had a real shot at taking it to the next level? Man, the real shot was when my, my sophomore season, after that year, going into my junior season, you know, some of the, the scouts would come in and everything. We do those, like, mock pro days and whatnot, where they just measure and stuff. And I was just a junior, and I remember Ron Zip telling me, he pulled me in his office, like, look, man, he was like, I don't normally let juniors do this. There was, was a few of you guys that probably have an opportunity to leave after your junior season. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys do it. Um, and for me, it caught me off guard because, I mean, you know the NFL is always a dream for everybody. But I had never gotten that, that confirmation or affirmation from someone saying, like, look, especially in a position like Ron Zook, who's seen so many talented guys that had guys in the league in the past and currently to tell me, like, hey, you got a chance. I was like, well, like, this is real. So from that moment on, I was just like, my main focus was on doing everything I could, you know, to make it. How was the draft experience and, uh, like, the combine visits, all the draft visits and all that? And uh, where do you think you'll go? It was cool, man. My, the, the combine was kind of, um, as you know, it was a, it's a test, man. Mm-hmm. From the moment you evaluate it, and they do all this little stuff just to get, throw you off track intentionally make you get up early for drug tests, keep you at the hospital all day, getting all these MRIs, getting poked and prodded at. Um, but um, I liked the challenge, to be honest with you. I thought it was pretty cool because I knew 
going into it, what to expect because we prepared for it for two or three months. Um, but my favorite part of the process was just, you know, getting, 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 getting my name called, man, and just realizing that my dream had come true. So that was, that was the best part for me. So, so speaking of that, getting your name called, just kind of take us through the draft night, right? Just, you know, tell us a little bit about that, that experience and how was that? Where, where were you and uh, what was, was that experience like? Well, I was in Chicago, man. So from, from all the evaluations and all the, you know, feedback I was getting, it was a big range. It was like, you can go anywhere from the first to fourth round. Dude. Like you just, I mean, some people see you different than the others, um, mm-hmm. but you have versatility, you have value and, and there's going to be a team that, probably takes you higher than you expect and it may go the other way. You just don't know. So I, the first night of the draft, they had split it up my time. So that was like, I think the first year where the first round was only on one night. Mm-hmm. So that night it was just me. Um, at the time, it was just my, my fiance at the time. Um, my mom and a couple other close family members were at a hotel and we watched it. I didn't expect to get drafted that night and I didn't. So I, I was kind of upset as a competitor because I, I saw some guys go ahead of me that I knew wasn't better than me. But I was like, yeah, I, I expected it just because that's the news I was getting. And the next night I had like a party. So I, I lined it up the second day. I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it past the second day. If I get drafted the first night, we'll celebrate the second day I had this party. If I don't get drafted, we'll, we'll watch it together. Mm-hmm. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up getting drafted by Kansas City at 44. I actually – Funny story, I got when I got the call, Miami was on the clock. So I'm like, yeah, I'm about to go to Miami. I'm about to be on South Beach. I'm all excited and everything. I'm like, yeah. And I get the call. And at the time, um, I think it was, um, I forget who, who picked up the phone first. Anyway, he said he was from Kansas City. And, like, I was still excited, but my tone kind of changed because I was like, Kansas City? <laughs> That's not Miami. <laughs> I want to go to Kansas City? What's in Kansas City, man? Like, I'm thinking like yellow brick roads. I'm thinking country town. I'm not going to be able to do nothing. But I'm so thankful, man, that I got drafted there. It ended up being like the best thing for me. Um, it's a great city. Um, a lot of people don't know about it. I didn't know about it at the time. But it ended up being somewhere that even though I don't live there now, I still call it home for me. So after taking the second round, uh, what were your thoughts going to the locker room with uh, guys like Dwayne Bow, Eric Winston, uh, Derek Johnson? Man, I just knew I had a lot to live up to, especially going to high. Um, I knew I had to come in there and prove myself being a young guy. I knew nothing was going to be given to me. Um, I know coaches, you know, they harp that. They're like, look, man, like, we want you to be a starter, but we had a lot of veteran guys. And at the time, I, wasn't, I was a second-round pick. I wasn't slated to be the starter. They wanted to groom me and grow me. I was like kind of an in-between guy, a hybrid guy. They didn't know if I was a guard. They didn't know if I was a tackle. They just knew I was versatile. So they brought me in, and I learned from some older guys. And I just knew, you know, the expectation, what I had to live up to. We had um, Brandon Albert, left tackle, Eric Winston, right tackle, both veteran guys. We had Rodney Hudson at the time. We had Ryan Lilja, John Asamoah. All, all those guys played for six, seven-plus years. So me being a young guy, I just was like, I need to – you know, do my part and kind of fit in, fit into that group. Man, you mentioned a lot of those guys, man, legends again. Those guys, some of those guys had been, uh, been with the team for a while. But let's yeah. talk about the rookie season. And um, I'd like to ask kind of guys a little bit about, like, what was that, that welcome to the league moment, both off the field and on the field? 
um, what was that for you? And, you know, sometimes, a lot of times, off the field is more so like realizing the business side of it. But what was yeah. that kind of, what was that for you? Man, my welcome to the league moment was like that, you know, that first cut that, I mean, you see, I watched Hard Knocks, you know, you see it about, you see all that, but there's nothing like actually being in there and just feeling the spirit, man. It's, it's just a, it's a sad day. Y'all been around it. Mm-hmm. Y'all, y'all seen it. You know how hard some guys work. You know some guys deserve to be on the team. And there was a couple guys where I'm like, man, like, like he got released? Like, you serious? Like, and that was my welcome to the league moment. Hard Knocks doesn't really show that. Like, they show, like, some guys get released and stuff, but it's kind of predictable. It's the unpredictable guys, the guys that you, you know, think are going to make the team that get released make you realize, like, hey, it could be your moment at any time. So that was my welcome to the league moment. Hey, during your rookie year, uh, talk about the trade blow y'all took when um, Javon Belcher, you know, killing himself. And uh, what, do you, what do you remember about that time? Man, I just remember, like, man, it's just the NFL. Like, it was it was sad. I didn't – even though he's my teammate, I didn't know him too well. I was such a young guy. Yeah. All the guys, they do their thing and everything. I would have conversations here and there, but I didn't know him too well. But from the conversations that I did have with him, I never thought, you know, that would be the outcome for him. That's something he would do. Um, so it kind of caught me off guard. Um, but it also told me that, you know, maybe, you know, mental health is a serious thing. That's something that we don't really talk about. It's kind of taboo. But it was something that happened early in my career that made me realize, like, hey, man, I got to make sure that I'm <laughs> – I'm taking care of myself, um, and that's what Absolutely. that did. And that was really like the next question, just in terms of because at that time the NFL mental health wasn't really talked about like that, it wasn't no. embraced. So, what did you kind of start to see uh, after that moment in terms of locker rooms and guys, man, maybe being a little bit more aware of mental health or just? Well, you kind of start seeing guys be more open about it, man. Like a lot of the older guys, especially in our locker room, I don't know about the locker rooms around the league. But after dealing with something like that, it's so close to home, it's directly in your locker room, it'll take a toll on you. And some of the older guys end up seeing that happen, some of the coaches. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was open dialogue. There still is there in Kansas City, like even with a whole new regime, you know, they, they focus on mental health. But I mean, you see a lot, lot more guys more open about it. And then you realize like, hey, he's dealing with some of the issues that I'm dealing with. You know, mm-hmm. there's interesting, interesting dynamics. A lot of guys deal with family issues. You know, not just immediate family, you know, extended family things, you know, pressures that they put on themselves financially, mm-hmm. you know, with taking care of people, things that you might be dealing with, like, hey, you know, teaching you how to say no or or how to deal with a certain situation with someone that you aren't too comfortable with telling no, teaching you how to say no. Absolutely. Okay, so back to the field, man. Uh, y'all been to... What's up, Hype family? Thanks again for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. But if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenerships. So you don't even have to have a big audience. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. 2012 with a 2-14 record. However, y'all did really good in 2013. Y'all had uh, y'all were 11-5 and made the playoffs. Uh, what, was the main reason, what was the main reason y'all turned around? <laughs> Andy Reid. We, we, we had the same team. We changed the quarterback. We ended up getting Alex Smith. He played a huge part in it. 
But but Andy, he's such a he's a great leader, man. He's a leader of man. He's he's a player's coach. Uh, he knows how to get the best out of his guys. One thing that I, I respect about him is is he tells you to be yourself, man. Right. And one of his his main things is let your personality show. If, if even if that's in the locker room, if that's on the field, like be you. Um, as long as as long as it's not a detriment to the team, be yourself. And you open it free. We all understand the business of the game. We understand and what's at stake as far as you know individually and what's on the line as a team as well. But you know we have fun with it there. I think that comes with that veteran uh, presence for him being around the NFL for so long yeah. and understanding. Like you know, I've had an experience of you know working, and I can't quite I can't say that that was the same across all locker rooms. You know, the same conversations where they allow guys to you know be themselves and enjoy and and you know allow them to kind of enjoy the process opposed to you know kind of you know there's different approaches but uh over the next two years two seasons you guys made the playoffs once 2015 y'all came off a playoff run but you was kind of heading to free agency and stuff like that can you talk about a little bit about that process and you know where you thought it would end up be um being for you for me it was it was that's another welcome to the nfl moment as much as i knew they loved me in kansas city as much as the coaches love me, as much as the GM love me, we had other priorities. At the time, Justin Houston was up for a payday, Eric Berry, some other high-profile guys. And even though they wanted to keep me, they was like, look, you kind of like, you've been playing really well over the last couple of years, and you're going to be at the top of the market for your position. And we want to keep you, but we're not going to be able to pay you that because we got to pay this player. And at the time, they valued them more than they did me. It was an honest conversation in this business, and it's never personal. And I understood that. So for me, it was like, do I go back to Kansas City and make $2 million less a year than what I'm supposed to, or do I hit the market? So initially, I thought I was going to Chicago. And I, I literally was about probably about 30 minutes away from going back home. I was, about to, I, was, I was about to head to the airport and get on the plane. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Houston calls. Calls my agent. And my agent's like, well, you think you want to hear their offer or you, you want to go home? I was like, I'd be a fool not to hear what, they, what they're going to offer. Just tell them. Give me the best offer. If it's better than Chicago, I'm gonna go there because my mindset. I'm gonna be honest with you. Was to make as much as I could. Yeah. That, was, that was totally my mindset. I didn't. I mean, of course, I wanted to win, but I was like, what is gonna provide for my family? What's gonna put me in a position to say, okay, I'm good no matter what. So I was like, I'm going to the highest bidder. I worry about winning later. I was on. I was, <laughs> if I want to win, I'll stay in Kansas City. <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm being straight up. Respect that. So. Ended up picking Houston. I went there, and then I went there because they paid me the most. Yeah, that was up, bro. That's smart, man. Like, hey, football is only a, so, a certain. It's only certain money. You got, you got, you got to make the money while you while you can. But uh, I see doing your free agency. Uh, you picked the Texans. I know you got you gave you a real nice deal. Uh, what did you learn about money doing your first your rookie contract, and compared to what you learned about money doing after your big contract? Man. <laughs> that bank account looked a little different. <laughs> looked a little bit nah, but man, like to be more responsible. Yeah. Thankfully, I was able to get to that second deal because I made some mistakes. That first deal that prepped me for the making that amount of money. I was able to kind of figure out who was really in my circle, who really was there for me, and not just there for the money. Um, but once I got to that second deal, I kind of navigated my way through life, figured out who was really for me and whatnot. I'd actually benefited me. And um, I got a little bit more financial, financially savvy. I learned a few things, started to um, equip myself with the correct knowledge. 
that would know how to handle my money and ask the right questions when people were handling my money. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, kind of my experience, I, you know, I'm always working with guys that are coming into the league for the first time. I'm, I'm working the draft process and all these different things. And a lot of times, you know, guys just walk into this league blind. They have no idea yeah. about anything about money. Now, it just surprises me that, that when they knew they have a real shot, that they didn't really start to try to educate themselves. And, I mean, it could be as simple as taxes, right? Like, I have no idea, you know. How that how that impacts. So you know, it's just amazing. But I like to ask guys kind of a little bit about that journey because for yes. some people, again, you learn it through the process and you you know become more. Definitely learn it through the process. It's little things that you don't know when you're a young guy. You see, like for instance, you see these younger guys. You know, when they buy, you know, their mother or their father a house or a car, not thinking about the future. Mm -hmm. Let's say, for instance, you buy your mom a Bentley. Majority of, of us grew up in, in neighborhoods where you shouldn't have a Bentley. Right. You buy you buy your mom a Bentley. Now you gotta buy her a, a house for that Bentley. You know mm -hmm. where she can park that Bentley. Right. Mm -hmm. You gotta pay the taxes on that. You gotta pay, you know, the insurance. You gotta pay all of those premiums, those things in life that you don't necessarily look at up front. The people selling it to you not gonna tell you about it once it's off their lot, once it's off their hands. It's on you from there on out. Um, those are the types of things that you learn throughout life that you don't necessarily know, that you aren't taught in school, that you don't know because, you know, it's not something that is a legacy thing for your family to, you know, come, in that type, come into that type of money. So you don't know how to handle it. Um, but the more you can teach yourself, the more you can resist those temptations of doing those things that you deemed as a child as your dream, um, the better off you be. Absolutely. And again, that's another main focus of our podcast is really be able for young guys to hear these conversations and be able to kind of have a little bit more knowledge going into it so they can kind of adjust how they move again, because you, you can put yourself in position to be uh, financially secure pretty much for the rest of your life. If you are with able to discipline yourself and kind of, you know, live way less be, because you got some of these guys coming from college where they might've had, you know, $10,000 for the whole year. Right. Yep. Like now you're in the league. Why you gotta go and spend five hundred thousand, right? Your rookie, your rookie, your rookie minimum is four hundred fifty thousand. Like you know what I'm saying? Like you should be able to save majority of that. Absolutely. But it's it's those things, like I said, learning, learning, unlearning bad habits or unlearning those those false dreams that you had. I think um, and it's tough, man. It's tough because you see all that cash in your bank account. You say I have enough to buy it, but you don't think about the after effects. And, and the after yeah, effects. It was just, it's just getting around the right people first off. As a young guy for me, I was able to get around some older guys that had been around for a minute that were successful, that made some money, that told me, like, look, this is Ryan Lilja, for instance. When I got in the league, I went to buy my mama house. First thing he told me was, like, don't do it. He's like, not because she doesn't deserve it. It's just because you never know. Right. He said, you can end up buying her a home and not being able to afford it. He said, or you might – I, I, then I told him, I was like, now nah, I'm going to buy something I can afford. He's like, well, if you buy something you can afford now, let's just say you get a second deal. You might want to get upgraded. You're going to end up having to sell that house or something. Mm -hmm. Like, just wait, see how it plays out. If you get that second deal, great. If you don't, then now you know you can evaluate. You can do exactly what you what you can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's some good advice, man. So <clears throat> yeah. we're talking about money a little bit, especially um, – you know, things didn't go as planned with the Texans, but as luck will have it, you kind of landed back in Kansas City. Uh, yeah. Again, and you got to play alongside league MVP, right? So yeah. you won a few guys who played with both Deshaun and Pat. Pat, a half a, a half a billion dollar contract. Billion. 
<laughs> like that, you talking about life changing? Deshaun is going to be up next, so you know he's, yeah. you know, he, they about to cash in, man. So talk talk about a little bit about um, what would you say that make those guys so special? Man, they just, man, they just got it. I know you hear that, but they got the it factor. They got that. I don't know those intangibles that you can't teach. Um, both of them great leaders. They both lead in different ways, but both are excellent leaders. Um, and they just you feel their presence. You know, they walk into the locker room, they walk into the huddle. You know, from I wasn't there when Pat got in there in his rookie year, but I heard stories. I was there when Deshaun came and Deshaun walked through that door. Even though he wasn't started at the day one, he knew he was the guy. Like I knew Deshaun was gonna be great just by just the way he he handled himself, the way he carried himself. Um, that he was going to be what he is right now. Um, and he's proven it. Yeah, man. Well, back to y'all saying earlier, man, about, um, you know, just spending money on everything and buying your mom and buying your dad that. Uh, for me, when I, when I, was, I, was, I was even retired because I didn't do all that. I was even retired at a yeah. age because I was straight. I had money. I'm exactly. like, okay, I'm good. I, I, I can retire because I didn't, I didn't have $100 million here and a million dollars here, a million dollars here. Like, I was I was set because I, I made sure I was set. I didn't, I didn't buy I I, I I help my people out, but I didn't like just buy everything. I didn't splurge on them, and 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 it worked out for me, man. And I still had money, like and, and everybody was happy. My mom was happy, my dad was happy. Everybody was happy because I, I just didn't splurge on them. Like I wouldn't about to buy you a house, exactly. wouldn't buy buy you a car. Like why, why you want a Bentley? You don't, like you said you don't need a Bentley. You live you in a, a small city, man. You live in a small city in the world. Why why? You need a <laughs> but uh, but yeah, bro. I, I, people really need to hear that, man. A lot of guys need to hear that because That's, they think that they think that's like. If, that's big time when, you, when you're able to buy your mom and buy your dad. It's kind of stupid. It don't make sense. Yes, but that makes sense, man. Like like you said, managing your money so you can put yourself in a position where if you want to, you can retire. There's so many scenarios where we don't have the leverage because of what we do with our mm-hmm. money. Yep. You were able to retire, and so was I, because of those reasons, because we, we mm-hmm. prepared for it financially. I was able to go back to Kansas City and take less money to go there because of that, even though I had other opportunities to make more money other places, I was financially in a point where I didn't have to worry about going to the highest bidder anymore. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to go where I'm comfortable, where I know it's a good environment, where I know I'm going to have fun playing football. I'm going back there. I don't exactly. care. I don't know. I, it could be very well that other places, but I know for a fact what it is in Kansas City. I'm going back there. Exactly. I was able to make decisions. And even with retiring after this season, I was able to make that decision and not going back after they released me. It wasn't never like, it was never like, you're done, Jeff, we released you. It was like, Jeff, we're gonna release mm-hmm. you, bring you right back. I was like, after that point, I was like, you know what, it's my time to be done. Mm-hmm. Even though I got opportunity to go back, I'm not gonna do it because it's just my time. I just felt like it was my time to be done. And I was able to make that decision because I didn't do some of those things. I didn't overbuy. I didn't go buy a Bentley. I didn't go buy, you know, you know some of those things that I shouldn't have been buying. So, I mean, it speaks volumes to you um, and just your, I don't know, just your knowledge and your wisdom, man. Yeah, man. And I feel like when you, when you retire on your own, it, it gives you like that. It gives you the peace. Exactly. It gives you the peace and give you the power. Because a lot of guys, when they retire, they, they want to go back. Oh, they want to do this. They don't do that. Like, I, I was straight, man. Like, I was, I was totally fine when I retired. Like, I was like, okay, I'm done playing. Like, I'm fine not playing. Like, everybody, you okay? I'm like, bro, I'm fine. Like, I'm cool without playing because I did it on my own. I did it on my own time. Like, you see, it gives you that peace. It gives you that comfort knowing, like, okay, yeah, I can still play. Yeah, I still got it. Yeah, if yeah. I want to, I could go back to a team right now if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I'm able to walk away on my own terms. Exactly. I got, I got my health. You know, I have my happiness. 
Mm-hmm. That's what's important, man. That's what's very important. All right. So you've been out the league for about about a year now, uh, a little bit longer than I have been out. And uh, when I when I first got out, I was just like so I was so bored, man. I didn't have much to do. I was just working every day. I worked out all the time. So what what what's been your biggest adjustment? My biggest adjustment is just yeah. being home with my kids. <laughs> they run around like crazy, man. They got so much energy. It's great, man. Uh, I love being around them. I love being able to, um, you know, you know, be that dad for them and be there for them for everything. Going to my daughter's, you know, dance recitals, being able to go see my son, you know, at basketball, all those little things that I wasn't able to do because I was away, I'm able to do now. Um, and just you know, being here for my wife as she's going on this venture with her new business, mm-hmm. Cookie Society, helping her grow that and doing the little things behind the scenes to help um, has been great. Unfortunately, like we talk about, a lot of guys don't find themselves in the decision, uh, in the position to desi- decide when their career would end. Um, when, what would you, when would you say that you started to think about life after football? And I know you said you signed a deal, you got the money. When did you yeah, start? When I, got, when I got like. I got a concussion. I got two concussions my first year in Houston, bro. After I got my second one, I was like, that was like my fifth concussion in my career. At that point, I was like, I don't know, man. Like I'm getting these, I'm getting these like concussions. They're becoming easier to get. I know some of my symptoms are still lingering here and there. I was like, I don't know about this, man. And then my second year, I got another one like late in the season. And I was ready to be done then. Like, I, I, I pretty much retired. Like, I, I heard from, like, 20 teams after I got released by Houston. And I told everybody, I'm done. Like, I'm done. I'm not playing anymore. And then Andy Reid called me. He kind of, like, pointed me in the direction of this specialist. Just checking on me, like, my concern about me. And I went to a specialist, and he reassured me. He's like, look, dude. He's like, I've seen these cases. His name is Mickey Collins. He's like, I don't think, you know, you're a risk. So they kind of talked me out of retirement. I went back you know, for two more seasons. And, you know, I just, I just felt like even with playing those two seasons, I was at peace with being done two years before that. Mm. And I, I feel like I made the decision and that whole, that two-year period, the entire time I was enjoying football, but at the same time I was preparing for the end of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you, talk about, can you talk about what you're doing now and uh, what's your plan for the future? Uh, well, right now I'm just I'm I'm knee deep in the game with cookies, man. <laughs> I'm selling cookies, man. I never thought I'd be doing that. Um, but you know, my wife is she started this business about three years ago. I don't even know if you ever had any, but like she would bring mm-hmm. I would bring it to the locker room. Oh yeah, yes. oh, yeah. yeah. She she's always had a passion for this, and I would always tell her it's gonna be your time one day. She's always supported me, and for three years she had an online business and whatnot. And then talk about preparing for life after football. Last year while I was in Kansas City prepping to open our first brick and mortar and um that kind of like propelled me into being retired i was like you know what my time is better spent here my family um focusing on this business and my next chapter in life so we're here now we've been open for three months kind of kind of kind of um a situation that we didn't expect with the pandemic but business has been doing really well um and you know we're excited for the future with this but for me personally i've always wanted to get in finance kind of more of a mentorship role and, you know, advise guys. Not necessarily. I, to, I got a business finance degree from University of Illinois, and I wanted to be a CPA, but I don't want to do that anymore. That's a, that's a different beast. Um, I just want to advise guys and teach them about, you know, planning for their life, especially after football. 
Absolutely, man. I, I mean, I, I, I've had some of those cookies. I'll tell you this, man. Man, I, I you know, I would always make sure I tiptoe by the locker just to make sure <laughs> if anything left over, you know, I'll definitely want a couple. So I don't, don't surprise me at all that you guys are having success, man. They're, they're a lot better now, man. It is, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable the amount of work that she put in. Um, I mean, we're both collegiate. We're both collegiate athletes, so we know the type of work it takes, and we're, we're here every day, and we're in it, and um, we believe in it. Can you get? Can you shout out the name of it again, and maybe where we can find? It's Cookie Society, so you can find us on um, online at www.cookiesociety.com. You can find us on any social media platform: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Cookie Society. You know, stay up to date. Order some cookies. We ship nationwide. And you're in Dallas, right? Yeah, we're in Dallas. We're in Frisco, right? Cool. We're right down the road from the start, from the Cowboys facility. Okay. Good deal, man. Good job, definitely, man. man. We definitely want to make sure we support you on that effort, man. Again, um, I know nothing but success in the future, man. We'll definitely be in contact with all of your career, man. But we we'll appreciate you jumping on, man. Appreciate you taking some time to share some of your knowledge and your, and your wisdom uh, to our audience. Definitely, man. Next time I'm in Houston, let's link up. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. I've been grinding all my life, yeah. all my life. Been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice? Got to roll the dice. That's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Got married to this guy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.